afternoon, Tripadors, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 12 of You Call That Radio's audio podcast. And this is the third episode we have dropped in one day. You wait for ages for a bus, then three come along at once. So I hope you enjoyed already. You've listened to the Rosie Kane interview and the Gary Fraser interview that came before this. But now it's time to go to the United States of America to speak to one of my favourite rappers of all time. It's B. Dolan, who's now does a bit of Twitch streaming these days as well. And we, we had a wee chat before he played Edinburgh Fringe, so it's a couple of months out of date now. But a lot of the focus is on the writing process and 50 years of hip-hop. So it's just as relevant today as it was back in August. I hope you enjoy the show. And as always, on You Call That Radio, we're going to start with a little bit of news. So our little news segment this in today's show, I wasn't sure because there's been quite a lot happening in the world of hip-hop. The best place to keep up to date with all of, of This Is The News segments is by going to youtube.com forward slash you call that radio. That's getting updated pretty much every day just now. So that's where most of the action is, youtube.com forward slash you call that radio. But I thought the best one to go with is would you take £500,000 or a dinner with Jay-Z? So we're going to do that for about five minutes and then we'll get on with an interview with legendary hip-hop superstar B. Dolan, one of my favourite rappers and rhymers of all time. His pen game is exceptional. So I hope you enjoy the show. Once again, I can't start the show without thanking our patrons who make it all possible. So if you do enjoy the shows, then please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash you call that radio. And yeah, you guys are the best. We don't have any adverts, we don't have any funding, we don't have any sponsors because of the generosity of you guys for making this happen. So yeah, without further ado, let's go to the news and then we'll have an interview with the legend that is B. Dolan. Let's go. This is the news. For years, it's been said on the internet that if you were offered 500,000 US dollars or a dinner with Jay-Z, then you should take a dinner with Jay-Z the story goes that you would get more out of that experience than you would from half a million dollars. This week, Jay-Z was asked about it, and he's officially confirmed that this is a load of pish, and you should definitely take the money. He stated that if you want his business advice, you should take the money and buy my albums, which is a perfect response. The response of a true hustler. A nice, humble brag wrapped in an advert. It's like when us unsigned bands get in a podcast and howl into the void. Check out my new single on Spotify. Except his response is being reported on international news outlets. Meaning that this week, business students and self-help guru followers are listening to Crazy in Love searching for that nugget of information that will make them a billionaire. Can I just say that Jay-Z is a tremendous artist and even better as a businessman. 
a success story, no doubt. So much so that he probably started this meme so he could then deny it years later with an advert for buying his albums instead. Because we all realise this is hypothetical, right? Nobody's ever going to offer you this choice. You won't be walking down the Barra's Market or Camden Market and someone says, Psst, I have something you might be interested in, pal. Would you like 500 US dollars for free? And you're like, what, is there a catch? No, 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 even better than that. You're either going to have 500 US dollars for free or you can have a dinner with Jay-Z. Nobody's ever going to offer you even a hundred thousand or a pot noodle with Lewis Capaldi. Nobody's ever going to offer you fifty quid or a fry-up breakfast with Jackal Trades. This isn't how the world works. How long would the dinner even last for? Who pays for the dinner? And I hear you say, oh, it's a hypothetical question. It's a hypothetical question. No, you're a hypothetical question. Let's just say, hypothetically, you take the dinner. Jay-Z is going to be starting the dinner absolutely raging that he's got to talk to some random, some random curious stranger for at least an hour or two. And what are you going to ask him? Are you, is he going to have like some sort of presentation ready? No, you're going to have to ask the good questions. And if you've, if you've chosen a dinner with Jay-Z over 500k, you've probably not got any good questions. But you'll just be sitting there with your notepad and your shite questions. While we're waiting on a, a starter arriving, can you teach me to rap like you, one of the greatest rappers of all time? Can you teach me to rap like you and write lyrics like you, Jay-Z, before, while we're waiting on the starter? And then... Between the starter, oh, oh yeah, oh the starter was lovely. Before the main meal arrives, can I ask you how can I marry the biggest pop star in the world? Maybe one of the biggest pop stars of all time. How can I marry Beyonce or a pop star as big as Beyonce? The billionaire sprinkles don't exist. A lot of people think that billionaires can sprinkle some magic dust that turns everyone they speak to into billionaires over a steak and chips. Now, no offence to the artist that Jay-Z has signed on Rock Nation or, you know, he worked for Def Jam. J just think about the artist he signed. Now, I bet he had a few dinners with artists that you, ha you have never heard of. Unless you go to the same job centre. I'm looking through right now at the artists he signed. And I don't even know how many of these he's actually signed himself personally. And I don't know how many he advised personally. The only billionaire I can see, the only person that, that could be a billionaire is Rihanna. I don't know if she is a billionaire, but she probably is a billionaire. If she's not a billionaire yet, she maybe signed a bad contract with Jay-Z. I don't know. But... If she's not a billionaire yet, she probably will be. That's Rihanna. And I'm looking through, just in alphabetical order, I like Benny the Butcher. I like... I like Christina Aguilera. Fat Joe. J. Cole. Jadakiss. And a bunch of other people 
who I don't think owe their success to Jay-Z. I think they were successful before they signed. Many will be lucky if they're even millionaires. Many I haven't heard of. There's a whole bunch of people I haven't heard of here. And I'm a hip-hop fan. And I've not heard the most of these people. But these people will have a dinner with Jay-Z. And they probably, if you ask them, they would rather have taken the £500,000. They didn't even know that was an option. And also, if you are a random stranger at the dinner table, would Jay-Z even give you good advice if he could? I mean, this is the guy who famously knocked back his cousin for a $4,000 loan. And I think it was it Memphis Bleak I heard the other week on a podcast saying that Jay-Z was absolutely raging when he asked for Beyonce tickets. And they've been pals since the 90s. Jay-Z was raging that his friend asked for Beyonce tickets for his wife. He was raging. So this dinner, even if you did get a dinner with Jay-Z, it's going to start off very, very awkward. You turn up with your notepad, a bunch of daft questions. Who even pays for this dinner? Jay-Z ain't paying you for the dinner. He wouldn't give his own cousin a $4,000 loan. He wouldn't give Memphis Bleak tickets to a Beyonce gig. So Jay-Z ain't paying for this hypothetical dinner. You are paying for the hypothetical dinner. And can you afford that Jay-Z level of dinner? That Jay-Z level of lobster or whatever the fuck billionaires are eating? Lobster with hunters of Lurpak? Organic quail's eggs after eights for dessert? I don't know what they're eating. But it'll probably cost you more than $4,000. The, the same amount of money that Jay-Z knocked back. Jay-Z's not paying for this dinner. You're paying for this dinner. Jay-Z would make you buy his most expensive bottle of champagne. The champagne that he owns the business of. The champagne he invested $200 million in. He, he would have a very expensive bottle of champagne that you would need to pay for. It'd be a lot of money. It would be a lot of money. It would be an awkward conversation. So, just take the money. If somebody does offer you 500k or Jay-Z, take the money, fuck's sake. Just take the money. $500,000 is a great start to even the worst businessman in the world. Even if you were to gamble it all on red in the casino and lose it all in a second, you've still got a 50-50 chance of success. But even if you lost it all in a second, you could then go stream Go stream Jay-Z on Spotify for free. And it wouldn't have lost he wouldn't have lost any money because it was free money he got anyway. So it's gonna save you money in the long term. Jay-Z doesn't want to have dinner with you. He doesn't want to have dinner with me. He wants to have dinner with Beyonce. Take the money. Stop talking about this. He said so himself. But if he did have one bit of advice, he would probably give you this bit of advice for free. Subscribe to You Call That Radio. You Call That Radio does music news, commentary and interviews with artists with a sprinkle of live sessions. And for this month only, if you sign up to our Patreon, then you're in with a chance of getting a full Scottish fry-up breakfast with me. And unlike Jay-Z, I will pay for the breakfast. We are live 
It's been towing in the house. And uh, it's an honour, an absolute honour, to have B. Dolan on the week that we're celebrating 50 years of hip-hop. It's an honour to have one of my favourite hip-hop artists, writers and performers. And, um, aye, I'm here, I'm here. Starting the moment we've started. So, uh, yeah, B. Dolan, for those that don't know, a fantastic MC, writer, live performer. I think I first seen him supporting Scribby's Pip at the Archies about, I don't know when that would have been, maybe 2011. And then I actually booked him for a gig in Glasgow at Pivo Pivo in 2012. And I always make sure that I see B when he comes to town, which he'll be coming to Glasgow, Edinburgh next week, and a bunch of UK dates. So we're here to talk about that and the new album. And I think we can go live to the US of A right now. B Dolan, can you hear me? Hey, how's it going? I can hear you. I'm very, very well. Thank you so much, mate. It's good to finally get you on. Yeah. Try to get you on, but you've been through a lot. You've been busy making your album and you've been recovering from back operations and, and everything. Yeah. But it's, it's especially good to have you because it's the 50th year of hip-hop. So my first question to you would be, can you name your top 50 hip artists <laughs> in order? All right, I got to go. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> Okay, what about top five? Do we wait? Can we do a top five roughly? No, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Love it. I love it too much, man. I love it too much. I. Uh... What about that? What about an album that changed your changed your life and got you into hip hop? Was there a specific what was there a moment that you went? Shall I do that? Yes, uh, I know that album specifically. It was the Diary by Scarface. Amazing. And uh, I was twelve years old when I heard it, and. Uh, I was in the back of my older cousin's truck and he was, uh, he's driving and he just had the tape in and I had, I, I had heard hip hop before that, uh, I was born in 1981. So I'm a little younger than a lot of, or a number of hip hop heads, um, that, you know, came from the older school. But, um, so I had, I had heard like Jazzy Jeff and Run DMC, but I was a little kid kind of. And so when I was like, just at that right age of like adolescence, I heard Scarface and he, he just said certain shit in his raps that like the, the, the kind of like horror slash gangster stuff appealed to me just cause it was like not allowed and, you know, language that my parents wouldn't be into. Um, but then the kind of like real shit he had to say about like depression and, the government and uh racism and shit like that it all just made so much sense to me and i hadn't heard it being spoken of anywhere else around me because where i grew up and when i grew up hip-hop was not like everywhere yet it was actually something you had to like seek out and find because the dominant music was still like rock music and like hair bands and shit that you know metal and that type of stuff where i came from um so yeah that was the one that like i caught the bug and then I, we we would just uh, grab certain tapes and kind of like scavenge them, squirrel them away, play the shit out of them until the track list was all worn off and <laughs> the sound quality had degraded to shit. Uh, Method Man's To Cal album was one that I had like that, Ready to Die by Big E, which that is how I first heard Method Man and then got it. Ah, oh, shit. There he is. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, those that was the stuff that got me hooked early. And then I mean, obviously I'm an MC all these decades later, so uh, I've been inspired along the way continually, all the time. 
And that's that's why the top five thing is always just like I could name five MCs that I really like, but um, what about five underrated MCs? How about that? That's an interesting question. Um, I, thought, I don't think Scarface gets the props that he deserves. No, absolutely not. So I would yeah. kind of put him in that category when because obviously there's been lots of with the chat of fifty years. There's just been loads of really interesting content. People talking about their favourite. Yeah, I mean, what, what what I was I think Sage Francis put a post up. It was actually what your friend Sage said something about how did they know that it actually started on that day? Because obviously yeah. when people were, well, did everyone just start suddenly breakdancing? They just suddenly <laughs> knew it instantly? Well, it's kind of the date that's being celebrated is related to the original block party, which was thrown by Cindy Campbell and at which uh, Cool Herc um, started juggling records and, and breaks and looping them together. And it was sort of considered like the birth of hip hop. Um but yeah, I mean, what Cool Herc was doing, sort of something he, you know that had already existed within Jamaican sound clash culture, and even to have uh, uh, somebody on the mic kind of like amping up the DJ is very much like from Jamaica. Um, and then obviously, like the breakbeats being used are are resampling all of jazz, funk, and uh, you know James Brown to me arguably is kind of a fucking early rapper like when when i see footage of james brown um or even just hear some of his songs like mind power and shit um that that music is is uh very like african in origin because it, it you can even kind of hear the stuff like uh fella kuti and them like james brown to me is an american version of that um, and that, that music tends to rely on like, uh, slow changes over time and like grooves and shit, but the drums are kind of like steady, almost like a beat. Like I could easily rap over so much of James Brown's music and James Brown is rapping over his music. Like sometimes he's just talking like, hey, we're dealing with situation, you know, like, and, and then like, and the call and response shit that he does, like, is, I'm like, this is MCing. This is, this is hip hop. Like, it's just. You know, at the time it was called. What is the, what is the line between a uh, like spoken word and rap music or, or poetry? I, I think that can sometimes be an interesting question. I love, I was actually playing um, some of your stuff last night, and is it, is it still electric? I think I've told you the last time I spoke to you about how great that is. For, where did, when does it start becoming a poetry and it become emceeing? Um, yeah, it's all, I mean, the music is. Is to me the the only real difference. And if I were to get like ambient music and play it underneath some spoken word, like arguably it gets even fuzzier the line between the two. Um, is it experimental rap or is it spoken word? You know, <laughs> uh, it's always been pretty arbitrary to me, and I don't I don't necessarily like classify it as such in my mind. Um, but yeah, I. I to me, honestly, I've never, I've never invested much in the distinction between the two. Because if if you're a good rapper, to to me, like your lyrics are very much poetry. Um, so, again, like the it just gets blurrier and blurrier. <laughs> you know, some sometimes the difference is just being imposed on it by by people for one reason or another, whether they're academic or whether they're trying to sell a ticket or you know, they invent the t- labels. We've got, I've got here your UK tour dates coming up. 
Right. We've been one, two, three, four, five, six, six days at the fringe. Three, yeah. Four. Then Hug and Paint, Glasgow, Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds, Bristol, Brighton, London, Preston, Dublin. Yeah. Always better, Edinburgh, Glasgow. <laughs> He's trying to get me in some shit now. Uh, I like them both. I think, um, so I think about moving to Scotland, man. I, I really fucking dig Scotland. I like the people there. I like the cities. Uh, I like the country in general. I like the vibe. Like, uh, I, I, I feel like I could fit in there. Um, I, th- I think if I were to live in one, I would probably live in Glasgow because Edinburgh seems like kind of a tourist destination to me. I know I'm sure there are plenty of people that work and live in Edinburgh, but, um, all the stuff there kind of re- feels like it's, uh, bait for tourists. Like it's not their fault that the, the beautiful castle with the big peak and lots of cool shit and, I like I it reminds me of an international city a lot more than a lot of other UK cities. Um it almost reminds me of Amsterdam sometimes. Um in that like I can kind of see every race of people from around the globe represented and all the food from all the places is in there. Like that's what I associate with Amsterdam of like um this is an international city where lots of people come and lots of cultures meet and it's cool. I love that energy. Um but Glasgow feels like where like neighborhood people live, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, I think you've kind of nailed that. I mean, obviously Edinburgh's got its own schemes and it's got its own sort of thing outside Edinburgh. But it seems quite strange that people that live in the schemes of Edinburgh don't feel part of Edinburgh City, right? Feel represented the Edinburgh Fringe. Well, right. If you go, I get Glasgow. You're going to get people of working class, middle class, yeah. and it's just a sort of melting pot in that regards. Is it, is it where are you just? Are you Rhode Island? Is it Rhode Island? You're based, or is that where you were from originally? Yeah, that's where I grew up. I What's pre- Rhode Island like? I just don't know much about it. It's a it's a strange little place. It's a it's the smallest state in America, and it's on the East Coast. It's right in between Boston and New York. So Boston is one hour north. New York is three hours south. So uh, it tends to kind of be uh, a lane through which lots of culture has passed through the years because it's all sort of right there. But it's also by nature being a very small city uh it's one of those places where like all the creative people kind of know each other even if they're not doing the same type of thing or in the same type of genre so you kind of end up just by nature of like there's only so many people in this area that are alternative or you know what in the scene uh so the the friends you have that are into like hardcore are gonna end up bringing you to their hardcore show and you're gonna end up bringing them to your rap show so it's it's definitely like a a very tiny little pressure cooker that has resulted in like for its size an unusual amount of creativity and bands coming out of it. Um, it's always been a, a unique place. I think I've first seen you uh, supporting Scribby's Pip at the Arches. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I've seen you. Uh, obviously, you played people, people. You had the horn. We've got the horn dog brass band. I think it was with you as well. And I remembered that show that people crossing. There, uh, yes, there was a brass band, and were there like fire performers at that show too? Yes, there was burlesque and stuff. You just yeah, yeah. get, you said try not to book in, right? First, try and get it. Yeah, to be, uh, just just make it a bit of a circus. You, are, you want yeah. a circus freak show or something like that? Um, yeah, tried their best. We actually we actually had some acts that they, they, right. they actually cancelled at the last minute because of um, well, DF, their um, 
I think they'd uh, contractual obligations with DF, sadly. So it didn't go exactly according to plan. But it's a great show. I've seen you play um, the wee jazz cafe. So I posted up the picture earlier on, um, which is just sadly is no longer the Blue Arrow. I think it was. Um, mm. So that was there. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So that was the Epic Beard Men. So, boy, was it's in a stereo as well. I'm actually, I had half a band supporting you. It's stereo yeah. once, and um, <laughs> it was a bit disappointing because Jess, who plays the synth and has all the the beats and the and the keyboard or whatever. She couldn't yeah. make it, so we had to kind of sort of throw a, a backing track on and a guitar, and it wasn't we weren't at our best. But uh, yeah, still it was it was an honour to to open the stage for you. What have you got? I've got any? Um, is there any gigs that stand out? Your um, when you when you hit the UK, is there any venues that you just really like playing? Yeah, there's a couple on this on this uh, list. We're going to the Broodnell Social Club in Leeds. I've heard that, good things. I've heard good yeah. things. Yeah, I've been there a bunch, and I really like that that venue a lot. Glasgow has always been so lit, man. It, it um, one of the first times I guess I was headlining by myself uh, in Glasgow. It was the very first show of the tour, and it was being handled by a booking agent. And I I had like just made the transatlantic journey. I think I don't know. I was in some in between city because I remember I. I was trying to sleep off the jet lag in the airport, one of those little like pod hotel things. And I got noticed that some new booking agent at this, at this club had, had like booked too many shows and totally spaced my show. And I found out just as I arrived that it hadn't been like promoted or announced at all. And, and, or that it, in fact, it had been announced at the wrong club or something like that. And it was going to be our first show. And I'm like panicking. I'm calling the agent. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, and, uh, and so then we called the place that it was supposed to be. And they were like, oh, you're B Dolan. Like we've been getting all these phone calls from people trying to buy tickets and we don't have any tickets here for you. And I was like, well, uh, is anything happening at the club tonight? And they were like, no, I was like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, we still do our fucking Rosie's that was me. That was nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, because I think you sent me a, a, an email or something saying um, basically someone booked you and then disappeared or something. Yeah, so, so well, you didn't that. disappear because the booking agent. I, I was lucky enough to have a booking agent handling it, so they right, okay. They called this promoter and they were like, "Dude, you fucked up. You owe this guy money." And so the promoter, I had to meet him that day at an ATM. And he had to take out my full show fee, give it to me. And then I still wanted to do the show. And Nice and Sleazy's was like, sure. So it was a free show. And everybody that came brought like five friends because it was a free show. So anyone that was like on the fence about like, oh, maybe I'll check this out. Maybe I won't came through. And it was like one of the most packed, fun shows I've ever had anywhere. And ever since then, Glasgow has always been the shit like wild like noticeable great energy great place to start a tour great place to end a tour just like one of our best audiences in the world yeah i, I was at that gig as well it was a great one it was super yeah. um you i was going to ask you what you what, what you made of melly mel's eminem this and have you ever <laughs> dissed another rapper i um i i have dissed other rappers i've dissed them subliminally and very very clearly and like no one has ever taking the bait i've i've sort of been waiting my whole career for somebody to to, to try it 
to cross the line. <laughs> it's inside me, inside me to tear somebody limb from limb. I did it to Justin Timberlake. Uh, but uh, no, nah, I, I mean, oh, the the Melly Mel Eminem thing. Yeah, that was like the worst birthday present for hip hop. I think <laughs> that was that battle. <laughs> that was like we had a big party and somebody brought a big shit sandwich to the party and it was like. Oh. <laughs> Thing. All right, put that over with the other gifts, I guess. Uh, yeah, I uh, assume they apologized and took it down because I was looking forward to the response at the popcorn lady. Yeah, none of that. None of that. I don't think there'll be any more responses anymore. I think that he he dissed himself with that. Eminem did too, though, man. It's 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 just like, don't diss Melly Mel. If you're if you're Eminem, there there's absolutely no reason in the whole world that you should diss Melly Mel. I I mean. I, I get it. I understand. There's unfortunately there's just this whole clickbait kind of thing of getting these like older respected rap heads to come on and then ask them basically, you know, lure them into saying something that's controversial or or negative, mostly negative, like um like a lot of what's online. It's like if you if you can get me to diss some fucking rapper, uh, you know, the, and take the headline out of this clip of, you know, like <laughs> P. Dolan says KRS-One isn't shit, you know, like, and, and get KRS-One to respond. But it's like Eminem is at a level of fame and fortune that he, he should be so far above that. And like, if Melly Mel, you know, is in his feelings one day and wants to sound off, you know, these are, these are cats who, who pioneered the art form, who never got paid what, they would have been paid 20 years later what you know jay-z got paid when he said i'm charging now for what you did to the cold crush like saying like you're gonna pay me because you didn't pay them which is cool but hip-hop doesn't have a union and hip-hop doesn't have a pension for these old heads so like there's lots of people around who are foundational are historic figures and who like gave us the music that we have and that we've earned everything from. So it's like, and I, I hate it when I see them saying some wild shit half the time they're saying some wild shit about queer people that I don't fucking agree with. And I'm, I'm just like, stop putting a camera in this guy's face, man. This is, this is an old person. Don't, don't ask him about that question. <laughs> like it, it, we don't need to have a debate about how he feels about this. Um, and the, you know, so with Melly Mel, what, whatever whatever interview question got him to say what he said about Eminem and, and he can feel how the fuck he feels you know like uh, maybe he does feel Eminem is overrated maybe maybe he has a good reason to feel that way maybe he doesn't but for Eminem to then diss him it's just like hip hop is 50 years old and that means that this this tree has branched in so many different directions and become so much bigger than what it was for you to now like go point at your granddad and just be like, I'll beat your ass granddad. <laughs> it's just like, yes, you can beat your granddad's ass, but should you beat your granddad's ass? You know, like, like is that the most loving thing you could do for your granddad? Like, yes, this is hip hop. Yes. Battle, battle, battle. But like, come on, man. You know, like, uh, go at Tech Nine. Go at Kendrick Lamar. Go at somebody who's gonna give you a run for your money. Like that. That's the culture of the battle to me. Like, what's great about a battle is if I've got Jay Z and Nas, Common and Ice Cube, like two MCs who 
I don't know who's going to take this because they are both equally like peers and competitors in well, time. And that same though, there was also uh, Eminem also kind of did us on that same song, did a sort of mild response to the game who made the Black Slim Shady song. Right. But I think in that, he just didn't want to make the, obviously the bait was for Eminem to diss the game so that he could sell more records. And I think Eminem yeah. just went, nah. And it wasn't yeah. great this either. Eminem was in his feelings, you know? And and unfortunately, some of the stuff Eminem had to say about race was like real unfortunate <laughs> in that song. Um, and and kind of like revealed some like feelings that maybe, you know, he, he's saying, you know, like, I don't have the exact text, but basically saying that like race is the reason he can't be considered the best of MC of all time. It's like, okay, pump the brakes, Jack. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, to me, to me, what that reeked of was like, you got emotional that day. You heard somebody that you looked up to say your name in a negative context and you loaded up the fucking nuclear bombs and dialed in a strike. <laughs> and and uh, you're a little out. I was in battle mode. I think he was in battle mode. But it's yeah. interesting, when you, when you mentioned about homophobia there as well, I remember uh, you were always quick to call out, um, you know, years and years ago. It's uh, totally advanced a lot in this country as well, but you know, we, we we I think you actually one of the support acts used a word, the homophobic word, and at that time, it was I think because it was a lot of people that were that generation were inspired by Eminem, who did yeah. that way with saying a lot of words, right? That, that they they wouldn't fly these days at all, and luckily yeah. the culture has changed so much that it's very unusual that you hear anything yeah. like that. But back then, I mean, you're talking about twelve, thirteen years ago, I believe, there was words that were. The blind eye was turned. These are kind of these were kind of conscious rappers. Yeah, sometimes you said some stupid things, but I remember you calling out once, and it, it did yeah. made me realise. Wait a minute, why are why are we turning the blind eye to stuff like that? There's no there's no place for it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I mean, it's it's uh, it's complicated within rap to talk about it as well. It's it's a uh, rap is a black art form, primarily grew out of the black experience in America spread to the whole world um that black experience in america has been grappling with homophobia and issues about masculinity um since our country's original sin of slavery and what was done to black men to demasculate them or you know so then okay so any type of abuse is gonna sort of tend to like provoke a a strong reaction in the opposite direction that might itself become abusive. So if you take away the ability of black men to be men and to protect their families and, or, you know, uh, young boys are feeling powerless and, uh, feeling cut off from their masculinity. Um, it becomes a very natural or it's, it's not, it's not surprising that somebody then wants to throw a slur and be like, you are effeminate and that is bad. Um, but then, you know, the, again, that culture sets fire to the whole world. And now the whole world is saying these words and doesn't even totally understand why this is a part of it. Like, it, it's just bad to be this. This is just something we say in battle rap. This is a way that we are. Um, and it didn't, it doesn't get questioned until somebody goes like, hey, uh, that's pretty fucked up what you just said. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but when I was rapping, it's like, yeah, but it's still fucked up, right? Like, you know, <laughs> like. There could be people here in this crowd who, like, you just made feel real shitty for no fucking reason. Did you have to do that kind of? Um, 
So yeah, I'm glad that over time that has become less acceptable. Absolutely, it's, it's definitely has changed. Uh, certainly in Scotland and in the, the, the local scene, anyway, I've noticed it. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're never scared to wear pop, your politics in your sleeves. You know, you get some classics like "What Side Are You On," "Film the Police." I mean, how important do you think it is as an artist's role to call out injustice? And also, just now, we side note: what, what the hell is going on over there with the former <laughs> president getting <laughs> indictments? Do you think that they can actually? I mean, I, I was very sceptical up until recently. I was like, well, they're never, no matter what happens, they're never going to send a former president of the United States of America to jail. What, with four indictments now? Do you think it will actually happen? Can it happen? He's, he's the best chance you ever have of seeing a president go to jail, I'd say. If it's going to happen, I think he's going to do it. He's, uh, he certainly have pioneered the field field of being an openly criminal piece of shit. Uh, well, while... he did everything right, but they indicted him. Yeah, he did everything. He made the perfect phone calls. And... <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. What would happen? If he was to go to jail, do you think, obviously it's hard to get a, a grasp, because obviously the only kind of, I, I try and keep an eye on American politics, but it's either through the lens of Fox News or CNN and trying to work out where the truth is, if there is any truth there. <laughs> And YouTube reactors, or maybe Twitch stream reactors. Yeah. Is it, if 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 Trump was to go to jail, would that? Uh, do you think that would galvanize his fan base? Could that kick shit off? It's possible. Um, I personally, with with me, um, it's been a lot of years and so much research and time and organizing and talking to other people who are organizing that, like, who the president is is never actually that much a part of the calculus of like what what is actually happening um in terms of people's political realities in their lives the the president changing will affect some things one way or another but largely for my entire adult life the u.s has been run in the same exact way with just slightly different uh you know political puppets uh, uh, giving the big speech at different times but the money we invest in our military has never changed the fact that we continue to uh exercise like imperialism all over the world doesn't change so for me uh i really love this uh writer named bell hooks who i definitely recommend people to like seek out books by bell hooks bell hooks yeah b-e-l-l yeah h bell hooks yeah, Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks is good too, but Bell, Bell, <laughs> yeah. different, different author. Um, and uh, she identifies the the our our primary enemies as capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist, patriarchy. And I find that helpful because it's like that's that's what we're fighting against, no matter who's the president. Um. And so that's what I kind of tend to focus on. But the Donald Trump shit is just like, that's reality TV. That's that's like political theater, which is what I think a lot of people confuse politics with as as just like, who do you vote for every four years? It's like, yeah, that 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 matters. But if that's all you do and you can you think you're changing anything, you're not changing anything. Really. With regards to Twitch streaming. Oh, yeah. Um, I think. Oh, no. Oh, sometimes <laughs> that happens. I just got to press the button. I'll be back. Got to um, well, actually, that's a nice segue to, to Twitch streaming. So, um, <laughs> at, the, at the very start, 
Yeah. So obviously, I don't know if you remember, but I interviewed you and Sage over a phone call um, a couple of years ago and before before lockdown and stuff. And it was uh, I was just doing an audio podcast, just kind of sort of a couple of month of interviewing people. Yeah. And then when uh, lockdown started, obviously ninety percent of my income was associated with live events or merch or mm-hmm. whatever. So I was like, right, okay, as an event organizer and a performer, I'm in trouble. So I decided to, luckily, Hamish gave me a lot of a webcam and a microphone. And I started streaming to YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. And I was just trying to figure out, because obviously you're splitting the views a little bit. But I ended up going for YouTube, A, because their copyright thing made a bit more sense. Facebook's just a nightmare. I was getting copyrighted for my own stuff. I was getting copyrighted (laughs) things that didn't happen. But always yeah. YouTube, it's like, you know, you did use that song and you can't monetize it, which is fine because I think monetizing one of my interviews is about 40 pence anyway. So I don't mind swearing, talking about politics. So yeah, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I've noticed that you've obviously got a really good Twitch community uh, building. Um, is there a particular reason? That, why did you why did you think Twitch worked best for you rather than YouTube? Because I, I was doing quite well on Twitch, but I decided to just... Um, sort of encourage people to go to YouTube instead just because I had a bit more permanence when I was interviewing someone I think people were more likely to watch even an old interview so I just want to ask you what 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 is the advantages of, of Twitch and also I know you've got a Discord server I've never used Discord is it worthwhile should I maybe setting one up yeah yeah I've I've dug into it all since uh, the pandemic too and the, the main thing that really has mattered the most to me is Patreon and uh the Patreon supporters really single-handedly kept me from being totally fucked um, during the pandemic. And Same. It's, the only, it's the only thing that kept me being able to write music continuously, have a steady income, and keep working and developing. And as I was doing that, um, my nephew got me playing Minecraft a lot because I was just kind of like playing with him to hang out with him, essentially, uh, during the pandemic. So we are playing a lot of Minecraft, and I was on Patreon. I, I guess it was probably him talking to me about Twitch. Um, and I did for a while, I was splitting it as well with like Twitch and YouTube, but I found that Twitch was getting funny about sending people notifications when I did that. And sometimes the multi-stream stuff was just a little too difficult to like understand or keep track of. I, it might be something for me to try again now that I understand more of what's gone going on because it was all just like such a learning curve of like, sound alerts fucking obs scenes like uh i was i'm still setting up so much stuff today i just bought a new camera to replace this one because of that white square thing that happens every yeah. like 25 minutes um so i mean it's uh, and i started with on a like a 2014 macbook which was the the one we used to use on stage that's what i was streaming with and we did like a whole um show in minecraft during the pandemic and we booked like multiple acts. We made a bunch of money. I was able to pay all the acts, probably sometimes better than what I might have paid them if we had done it in real life. Um, and audience members were able to like attend inside Minecraft. So it was like during the pandemic when no one could be together physically, it was like such a cool thing. And yeah, Twitch seems to just be where like, it's probably where I just like figured out how to do more stuff first. It was like, I got the sound alerts working and I got the, and I was like, okay, all right, it's, it's Twitch. Uh, but yeah, I, I also have a YouTube channel that I am now just like giving attention and I need to like clean it up, label the videos better, fix the captions, get rid of some, you know, uh, shit that isn't supposed to be there. But 
I, I see the value in both. I think uh, YouTube is probably the one that, that has the potential to pay the most over time. Uh, but Twitch sends me money and really like compared to what I was doing before and, and try to just deal with Facebook and giving Facebook money to try desperately to like game the algorithm uh, and reach my fans was a nightmare on Facebook is still a nightmare. Actually, on Facebook. I have to, I, I've come back just to promote these shows and this tour to Facebook for the first time in a couple of years. Facebook, don't you change like Facebook. This shit. The comment section, even like people saying like annoying shit to me and, and uh, that I haven't heard on other platforms. I'm like, how does this website do it? How, how is it just like collect all the negativity in the world? <laughs> well, what do you call a radio Facebook? I can share a funny meme. And yeah, a hundred likes. But as soon as I mentioned that I've got, I've got a show tonight with B. Dolan. It's crazy. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 almost like so. The way the way that I've found the only way that I can use Facebook for advertising is I mean we're actually streaming at Facebook as well. To anyone who's watching on Facebook or Twitch, uh, YouTube, please go YouTube. It's been there for me. Get out of there. Get out of there. Uh, But yeah, I I think uh, when I when I when I what I do is I make a a daft video, so like a comedy video, and then at the end. It's just a catch. It's got an advert attached to it. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. Whatever. But that's the only way that I can get. So then you get laugh reacts, and Facebook right. goes, "Oh, this is something funny," or <laughs> or angry reacts. You know, encouraging people to do angry reacts works as well. Yeah. Yes, but it you've got to think out the box. The Facebook wants the money. It wants your money if you're going to yeah. try and sell something. Yep. Yeah, and I I, I kind of quickly realized that um, even before the pandemic before we had stopped touring, it was just like, okay, the only thing we can do is pay Facebook to run ads. So that's kind of all I do right now. Like I, there's somebody running paid ads for the whole tour and hopefully it's leading people to our ticket links. Um, but yeah, meaning, meaningful engagement on there just didn't become a thing at a certain point. And, you know, I, we're investing so much energy into all this shit. Like we're thinking about what can I do that is going to, be be shareable be liked be whatever and we're we're creating we're being creative we're, and a lot of times we're doing like incredibly creative shit um and it's like if we're gonna do that work we shouldn't have to pay money <laughs> on top of it like we we do that work we give that work to these flat content you're you're yeah, and you go like for cool out. now pay us <laughs> yeah like, exactly. you're, you're you're creating me yeah, if you're doing an engaging post or an engaging video, then you've got people hooked into that website and they're seeing more adverts. Yeah, oh so, yeah, it's, it's 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 messed up, man. How is it? How's it been anyway? As a because obviously I think you you said to me that you're um, releasing this album independently. How yeah. how is how has it been different? Is it too early to tell in the campaign, or is it a lot more work? Or because I know that you were always quite independent minded anyway. I yeah. already got a fan base there. So, uh, the trick is, I suppose, trying to reach them. Yeah, um, I was used to doing most of that, most of that work, um, and especially as like time went on, I I got my brain around more and more of it. I was like, oh, th- that's what this is. Okay, well, um, and, and my like natural curiosity for like how shit works and how things get rolled out and all that led me to kind of test a bunch of things, see which things worked, which things didn't work, and. Um, the more I did it, the more I started to understand like, oh, okay, this might be useful to make for this or, or something like that. But, um, because of Patreon and during the pandemic, I kind of 
really just like disconnected from the idea of releasing music in the traditional way that I had been doing it because that whole uh, method had been built around the idea of me touring perpetually, um, taking advances before making the album, using the advance to make the album and live at home, uh, and then going on the road to sell the record, repay the advance and or raise some money for the next thing. Um, so if you, when you take out the road from that equation, it's just like, well, I shouldn't take that advance now. I, you know, um, but it was way superior because I got to stay home and my, my most engaged fans were like, we'll advance you to make another album. We will give you steady stay at home money so you can stay in your studio and write and, or build the studio actually. Um, since, uh, I'm in my backyard right now. Like we built this building, uh, since the pandemic. Um, and so the ability to do all that, I just kind of stopped even thinking about like, what am I going to do with these songs? I just made more and more songs. So I have more songs right now than I've ever had unreleased at any point. And I still have kind of like a fuzzy idea of how it's all going to come out next year. I'm, I'm just this week getting this, the pre-mastered, uh, finished version of all these songs. And now I'm going to kind of look at it as a collection and be like, you know, are some of these not fitting together? Do some of these want to be their own EP? You know, it's, it's more than an album's worth for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just like still adapting basically and exploring possibilities and seeing what's up. I, I certainly have all the tools to release it independently and, uh, it's gone well so far. People seem real excited. Yeah, that's the that's the plan for now. You may have. Oh, I think you might be muted. I don't hear you right now. Tried out. There you are. Oh, you're back. Can you not hear me? I couldn't hear you for a second. Now. Yeah. So the the rock the cried out. I'm just going to put the link in the comments for people. Uh, I, I got um, um, I got I sent the single earlier on in the week. It's absolutely fantastic. And the video is out tomorrow, I don't know what time in Scotland. Actually, nine hours. It's actually out in nine hours. So, so... Wait a minute. Is that right? You're a if you... light hog like myself, you can watch it tonight. They're all the cried out. Uh, tell us about the video. I, I, I heard that you're excited for people to see this one. Yeah. So, I... um, we, we Besides the Patreon, we also did a couple of successful Bandcamp final campaigns um, where we funded pressings of my first album and my mixtapes into a compilation. And after we did that, I was kind of like, all right, let's, let's try Kickstarter. Let's try the other thing I was like hesitant to do for a bunch of years. And because I had written all these demos and they were very finished demos from my Patreons, I was able to then take all the demos, uh, present them in a Twitch stream and say, I want to finish this album. Uh, and I played all the demos for people. So rather than it being a Kickstarter for like a hypothetical album that doesn't exist yet, this was a it's like, here's all the songs. Here's what they sound like. I need this amount of money to pay session musicians, mixing engineers, mastering engineers, cover, all that stuff. Um, and that was in April. And when we did that, this song was one that uh, somebody in the chat, actually, and the Twitch community reached out and was like, I love this song. I'd like to do a video for it. And they sent me the portfolio and it was full of all this like uh, very like organic, natural looking stuff but modeled uh using like 3d textural stuff uh, it's 
really impressive and like unique looking. Uh, and yeah, the director just straight up put this video together, sent it to me. And some people, a lot of people have responded to this song. It's a song written from the perspective of a rock, <laughs> which is a, a fun, like writing challenge for me that I wanted to try. It's a, the line comes from the Nina Simone song, Sinner Man. Uh, she says the rock cried out, I can't hide you, uh, in the course of that. And during my recovery, I listened to that song a lot <clears throat> and it was like, I feel like that rock. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, it was a fun, like kind of writing exercise that resulted in a really cool song produced by Widowmaker. So I'm very happy that it's going to be the first thing people see. It's going to be, uh, an interesting first single kind of. You, you talked there about your recovery. So my partner just had a, an operation last year for a ruptured tendon and trapped nerve on her back. And uh, yeah. it was a, there was a, she was in absolute agony. Yeah. Yeah, and she said she seen that she she read the, the what, what you had. I can't remember what it was, but she said that's the worst one that she had. Yeah, oh yeah. She's <laughs> yeah. So what, what, what was what was that? What was that? How's the how's recovery been going? And what, what was that happened? And if you don't mind talking about it, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have I had apparently a genetic condition or predisposition um, towards weakness of the spine and vertebrae um and my whole life i've had kind of postural issues and uh even as a kid i used to have to wear like bars on my feet and stuff like that i have a young nephew who has similar problems now and we're trying to like figure out how to work with him but um at the time no one kind of just <laughs> recognized it and i got i grew up and i was a big dude so you know i was just like carry that box, carry that tree, carry that rock. I was, you know, uh, lots of, a lot is expected of big dudes. And, uh, so I lived as a big dude for many years and, uh, I was very physical on the road and the way we toured was insanely physical, just, you know, hauling hundred pound suitcase up, uh, up and down flights of stairs and planes, trains, and automobiles. And I was on the Epic Beardman tour in America when the, these three fingers on my left hand went numb. And, uh, it's like, ah, oh, that's weird. And it didn't progress to anything. There was some like tremoring. Um, and I came home, went to PT. They thought it was a nerve problem. I got treated for eight months, uh, thinking it was a nerve problem with my elbow. And only when the pandemic happened and I stopped going to PT, did my wife be like, Hey man, your, your, your back is still weird. You still got this numbness. You should get an MRI in your neck. And when I did, they were like, most of these vertebrae in your neck have been collapsed possibly for three to five years and they're pinching your spinal cord which is why you've lost feeling in these three fingers and that loss of feeling is going to continue to spread to your outer extremities and slowly up your body and you're risking neck down paralysis like don't get in a car accident don't bump your head uh, we need to operate in like two weeks um so basically i'm fused now with a titanium rod from the second vertebrae in my skull to the middle of my back. And, uh, I have kind of residual nerve damage on my left side. You can actually maybe even see my left arm is now like smaller than my right arm because of the loss of muscle mass. Um, and there's still that numbness is kind of never going away. There's still some like balance stuff and all that, but the, the recovery was insane because, um, all those nerves that had been compressed and pinched when they were like released by this new rod 
every nerve in my upper body started to move <laughs> and like return and re- you know like be in pain so it was just truly like hallucinogenic levels of pain like levels of pain that i i i still struggle to describe i'm almost amazed and grateful for for the whole experience like it was transformative in many ways uh but yeah it was like walker cane uh six weeks to to stand and move normally again two years for the nerves to regenerate um so there's definitely a time times in there where i never thought i was going to tour again or didn't know if i'd ever perform again uh but surgeons do incredible things and i'm i'm back and the, the live the live show is it's feeling good to be with you have you performed live yet or have you just been practicing yeah I've done a couple, done a couple shows. This is going to be the first like stretch a tour that I attempt. So we're going to see how it goes. I mean, I, I have like health professionals. I continue to see, uh, a great physical therapist and yoga teacher. I take yoga now. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I have things that I do now and, uh, it's going to be different. At some point, every musician round about the age of 40, which I'm not far off myself, you have to either choose heroin or yoga uh, for me <laughs> to go and uh, so I wouldn't make that choice myself soon yeah go with yoga yoga's better yeah go with yoga yeah I've heard I've heard good things you said just just the, the final thing on that point was you, you, I heard you seen an interesting story about um, there was a song in the car plane when you drove to the operation oh, uh, to you drove yeah. to the hospital yeah yeah that was terrifying that was um it was Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. It was a combination of songs. It was, it was uh, Bob Seger's Turn the Page and uh, Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Uh, both are songs that on like late night drives, it's fucking 2 a.m. You're trying to get to a hotel in Nevada. You're in the middle of the desert. There's not another car for hundreds of miles. Uh, there's a lot of just lonely road time uh, when you're a touring musician and those songs are kind of about that. And so whenever those, and, and those songs both tend to come up on classic rock radio a lot. So whenever one of them would come up, Bob, uh, Bob Seger's turn the page is one that Sage, uh, publicly liked before me. He even like, I think it covered it, uh, on personal journals. I think there's a live uh, version of him performing it. Um, but it's, it's one of those road songs that you just kind of turn up loud and just kind of like zone out to. And Wanted Dead or Alive is the one that from the time I was a kid, I was, I was always very into. And I even had made a video to be played at my funeral, uh, while on tour once, cause this director had like a green screen and a smoke machine. It was like, you got an hour. What do you want to do? I was like, let me make this fucking silly video of me, uh, lip syncing Bon Jovi's Wanted Dead or Alive and you can play it at my funeral. <laughs> and it's, it's, it, it existed is it, I never released it. It was just something I had. Uh, so that song, as we're pulling out of my driveway at 4am to go to the hospital for the eight hour surgery, Bob Seger's turn the page plays. And I'm just like, God damn it. You know, I'm, I'm fully like facing the possibility that this, this surgery I'm about to have could result in me being paralyzed or dead. Um, and I hear that one and it's just like the time of being on the road is over, man. It's, this is it. Like <laughs> This is why. And it, it, the, the way it came on was, was weird too. Cause like I came in the car, turned it on, turned on the radio 
And it went from silence to the first note of that song, like as if I had played a CD. Like I didn't hear a DJ talk. I didn't hear a fucking commercial. I just heard that song and I'm driving, I'm keeping my shit together. And then the next song is Wanted Dead or Alive. And I'm like, motherfucker, like this is the sign. This is the goodbye from the world. Like this is it. Like do your death dance now. <laughs> like, uh, and I, it just was overwhelmed with just terror in that moment. Like, God damn it. Like, fuck. Um, but then the next song was Today's Tom Sawyer by Rush. That one kind of gets me going. So. <laughs> I was like, fuck it. Not dying today. Fuck it. <laughs> I'm glad this actually went well, mate. And I'm buzzing to see you. I think, I, I don't know what day. I'm, I'm at Solf. We're playing Solfest next weekend uh, down in Cumbria. So from Thursday to Sunday. But I'm hoping we might be back in time for the, the Monday night in Glasgow. If not, I'll try and get through to uh, the Voodoo Rooms next week. So I'm just going to put, put that on the screen one more time for people to see. And I've put a link in the comments to get your tickets for it. Um, yeah, the last question I was going to ask you is just about collaborations. So it, there's a ticket. So that's the, the list of it. So London, Preston, Dublin, Brighton, Bristol, Leeds, Birmingham, Manchester, Glasgow. And there's six opportunities to go to the Voodoo Rooms Edinburgh Fringe. Half 10 at night? Is it half 10 at night show? Yeah, nighttime fringe. It's gonna be interesting. Okay, it's half ten. Is fight. It's quite early for the fringe. I, I, I've got some friends who was doing midnight shows, and they all seem to be going really well. So, nice. uh, and um, you've got here uh, the uh, so for uh, tickets, just got to probably be imbdolan dot com. It's probably the best place. Whatever this one. Yeah, just scroll down. They're all there, and the links are all there. So collaborations. So in the past, you you know you've you've already collaborated with some of the. Some of my favourites, uh, Sage Francis, Aesop Rock, Buck 65, Scrooby Spit, Dan Lissac. Apologies if I've missed anyone. But in an ideal world, who would you most like to get a guest verse from on a B. Dolan joint? Scarface. <laughs> Scarface. Let's go. Let's, go. Let's bring it back, Scarface. Let's bring it back to the start. There's still time, Scarface. New video out tomorrow. I've put a link in the comments, guys. That's the link here. If you just click that, turn the notifications on. There's a wee notification button. And you'll see it in about nine hours or eight hours, I think, now. Uh, and, yeah, looking for, uh, the new single's incredible. I'm looking forward to seeing the visuals. When can we expect the album? Spring 2024. Next spring. I mean, thank you. Blame the time it takes to press vinyl. Also, I'm just going to leave a wee link in the comments as well to... I've started making a, a hip-hop podcast... Uh, thing so just with all the, the hip hop interviews so you know we do a bit of everything you call it radio but we've got uh, the Wu-Tang affiliate Bronze Nazareth Sarok Brother Ali Abdominal Mystic from Digital Underground Apollo Brown Fillmore Green uh, Loki um, Dan McGarvey and all sorts of good stuff there so I've put a wee link to the hip hop playlist in the comments as well guys if you want to uh, get some more uh, but thank you very much B it's been yeah, a pleasure me. and I'll hopefully see you in the real world next week Yes. See you then. Nice one. Thank you. Uh, we're back tomorrow night with uh, Zara Gladman, who is a comedian, musician. Uh, she's absolutely hilarious. And she's also... So we're going to interview her first. Tomorrow I'm going to speak to her. I'll put it on the screen just now, actually. So that's Zara. She's hilarious. She's going viral all the time. She's so consistent with comedy. That's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. We'll be live with her. And then on the Saturday... I will be a guest at Edinburgh Fringe at the Newtown Theatre 
for uh, with Darren McGarvey. He's doing a Common People podcast um, at the Newtown Theatre at uh, half seven every night. Um, he's, I think he's about 10 shows deep just now. And it'll be the last night of the tour. So uh, go and check that out. Uh, Saturday, Newtown Theatre. It's going to be myself and Zara Gladman being interviewed by Darren McGarvey, the Orwell, he's a new Orwell Prize winner, but most of you will know him as the rapper. Um, and yeah, I'm excited for that. So that's Saturday. Uh, my band Gyro Babies is playing Soulfest on the Friday, uh, on Friday, next Friday, six o'clock on the Melodrome stage. And then we're playing Linda's Farm Festival the following week after that um, on the 31st. Go and buy yourself a B. Dolan ticket and I'll see you tomorrow at, uh, at seven o'clock, same time tomorrow. Thank you to B. Dolan. Have a good night. See you later. Bye. Do you want weirdo or do you want it? Okay. What?